Hi, my name is Sherry Doherty, and I'm a lady in red. In act two of my career and living my best life, my perspective on life and behaviors have been governed by who I was as a child, who I became, and who I am still striving to be. People my age are beautiful, bold, confident, and full of wisdom. And truly, the encore of the story of your life is still when the best songs are yet to be sung. My mission in this podcast is to shine the spotlight on people like me, have real conversations about reinvention stories, and inspire you to continue to follow your dreams regardless of your age. I'm doing it for Daisy. Who are you doing it for? Good day and welcome to today's episode of the Encore Podcast. Today, I am excited to have with me Audrey Brown, who is the owner of Coco Bistro here locally in Kingston. And it is a lot of people's favorite place, given that she is a chocolatier. Welcome, Audrey. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to unpack this story. A mutual friend shared with me that you do have an interesting backstory leading to your career today in chocolate. And I'm definitely interested in exploring that. Mm -hmm. So if we can jump right in, why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself. Where were you born and raised? What was your childhood like? And any highlights or lowlights that you'd be interested in sharing? Well, uh, it all started uh, 58 years ago. I was born in Montreal and uh, raised in a fairly blue-collar neighborhood. Uh, It was just my sister and I, uh, but we're 10 years apart, so not a lot of uh, interaction at the home with with my sibling because she moved out early. But my father died when I was five years old, so I had just my mom and I most of the time. Mm -hmm. She was uh, an incredibly strong woman. She had to deal with a lot, which I only found out later in my life. But she uh, provided for us. We were very, very, you know, just we're frugal, very, very frugal. I was always taught to be careful with my money, not to spend it frivolously. So when I wanted things like a cat or uh, to go to the uh, Bee Gees concert at the Montreal (laughs) Forum, uh, it was always very, I would kind of be a bit manipulative and say, oh, please, I've been really good and I haven't been spending any money uh, otherwise but yeah she she was such an amazing influence through my life and we lived together well into my life when I went to school we did move because of the referendum and whatnot I really wanted to get out of Quebec okay. and so we moved to Ontario we moved to Kitchener Waterloo and did my undergrad degree there my mother moved with me oh nice and we lived in an apartment uh, she was was so supportive. I took um, sociology, psychology, always thought I would be a university professor. That was my calling, I thought. And then I had internships to work in Ottawa. So I worked at Statistics Canada, at uh, Employment Immigration, had great jobs there uh, for summer jobs, and uh, kind of saw my life going in a different direction so then went into speech language pathology interesting did my graduate degree master's degree at uh, western university and that was about when i was about 30 i said i'm not going to go on to another degree 
if I'm past 30. I'm just, okay. you know, that's done with education. Done at that with point. education. <laughs> and uh, I happened to meet my now husband when I was 21, when I was back in Ottawa. And he thought I was crazy to, <laughs> to change careers like that. I was working for the government. When you're in the government in Ottawa, it's pretty much you're there till you retire. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't challenging. It wasn't gripping me. So I'm glad I went on to do my master's, moved to London. And of course, my mother came along and she was with me through it all. Um, and then Mike and I mar- uh, married during my first year okay. in uh, my master's degree. I was a three-year master's. So you were doing your master's when you were 30. Yes. Great. Yeah. That's so, amazing. <laughs> it was crazy. It's a three-year master's. So it was long hard but then I uh, got my first job in Kingston okay so that's what landed that's what me brought here. You here yeah okay uh, worked in a private practice with children I really wanted to work with adults that was my um, real love so I ended up working at St. Mary's at the Lake Hospital very nice and uh, that was great I love health care and that was definitely going to be it Long time before that, Mike and I decided we weren't going to have children. Okay. Uh, it was a conscious decision, a hard one. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this is going to, I'm very career motivated. I thought um, if I'm not going to do my PhD by the time I'm 50, I'm not going to do it. So um, as I was getting toward, I was 48, I was thinking very seriously about doing my PhD. And one day I was at work with a stroke patient that I was working with doing an assessment. And my patient said to me, "Uh, Audrey, I think you should uh, call someone. And I didn't quite know what she meant. Right. And my hand fell to my side. And she said, I really think you should call somebody. So I limped to the phone and I called... Uh, the floor for the patient that I was with and I I said uh, you know could you have the patient uh, brought back to her room and then as soon as I hung up the phone my colleague called me and I was talking and she said Audrey uh, you don't sound good and there was a code blue called over the intercom all of a sudden Mm mm-hmm and that's usually when somebody has a medical emergency. Right. Uh, so I'm there in my office, limped back to my chair, kind of dragging one foot behind me and totally oblivious to what was going on. Right. And all through my career, uh, working with people with strokes and brain injuries, when you have a stroke, some people don't realize what's happening to them. Okay. So all the nurses and doctors came, and uh, when a code is called, everybody comes. And one of the physicians that I work with on stroke said, uh, Audrey, you're, you're having a stroke. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, <so>, oh, boy, <laughs> what's going on? 
uh, I was a little bit combative. I didn't. I said, I'm fine. I'm, I have my car in the parking lot, which I never did. I would always walk to work. So they brought me in the ambulance. I went to KGH and uh, stayed on the acute stroke unit. And luckily, it was a minor stroke. Okay. In the grand scheme of things, it didn't affect my communication, didn't affect my walking ability. I was perfectly fine. It was more cognitive. So my thinking, my ability to pay attention to what I was doing, my memory, all became just thinking and concentrating became a little harder. So when you're a professional in the medical facility, that's a handicap. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I stayed off work for three months and During that time, I said, okay, well, I'm going back to work. I'm going back to work. But at the same time, I had nagging doubts. What if? What if? So I went back to work after three months. Everything was fine. I worked. But I felt something was missing. I didn't have that same... uh, Everything was harder. Uh, I had to think really hard while at work. When my patients would speak to me, I'd have to really, really work hard to listen and I would be easily distracted. And I did this for two years. (laughs) I was stubborn. (laughs) I was so stubborn. But in the end, I just, I said, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) And when you have that realization that everything you worked for and everything you aspired to, like going to do my PhD, to be very clinical and, and focused and academic, and that was gone. Right. I could not continue. In the background of my life, I have always loved food. Okay. Love food. Uh, food drives me. I travel to eat. I think about food almost constantly. (laughs) It's very strange. I've always been an armchair traveler. I love to see what other people are, where they're going, what they're eating. And when I sat, when I lay on that gurney in KGH two years previous, uh, when I was having that stroke and I said, I have to change. I have to change. Yeah. Um, So it took me that two years to decide what it was going to be. I had a few years earlier taken a culinary course. Um, I really knew how to cook. I was a very good cook. I am a very good cook. I thought maybe, okay, maybe catering is the way to go. And I did cater some parties for doctors that I worked with. And um, I said, it's exhausting. Right. Completely (laughs) exhausting. Mm And um, I thought, okay, what's, what's something else? <laughs> and then out of the blue, as it would happen, a friend of mine from high school uh, showed up on my Facebook feed, and I saw that she was a chocolatier. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I said, wow. What okay, is that? What is that? <laughs> People do that? Um, and uh, I said, how did you do that? And she said, well, I... Um, I took a course online. <laughs> Chocolate online, you know, I, I, I did culinary school. I mean, you need focus. No, no, you can do it online. So I did it online, did the course. So here I am, 50 years old, uh, <laughs> and thinking I've got to make a new 
life. I've right. got to really do it and fast. So the course was about three, four months long. I uh, learned everything I needed to do. I went to British Columbia to do a master class in oh, chocolate. Neat. Because uh, I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. Right. I'm yes. going to do it right. Uh, get the right training. Um, and I met wonderful people who had a beautiful business out on uh, one of the islands off Vancouver, Bowen Island. And I learned what it really was to be a chocolatier. And it was on my 50th birthday. Oh, that's that beautiful. I was there. <laughs> that's serendipity for sure. It was. That's beautiful. And I realized in that moment, and I was still working at the time at the hospital, I was ready to make the decision. But while I was there, I said, this is it. This is what I want to do. And it's going to be, like, it all kind of fell together. And I stayed at the bed and breakfast that the chocolatiers who owned uh, the shop, they had the B&B there. And I stayed and I, I grilled them. I said, you know, after class, we just sat and I talked and I said, how do I open a business? Right. How do I do this? And they were so giving of their time and their expertise. And, and they said, you know how to do it now. All you have to figure out is how and where and what's what it's going to look like. So I, all my life, been saving up for my retirement right. from my academic and clinical career. And uh, all of a sudden having to basically use it all to start a business. That's a leap of faith. <laughs> it's a big leap of faith. <laughs> my husband thought I was crazy. Right. It was a big... <sighs> It was a big adjustment for him. Mm -hmm. He didn't quite get, I mean, he knew I was disabled in some way from the stroke. It wasn't obvious yeah. to him or to a lot of people, but I struggled and I said, I can't. And then the self-doubt, yeah. could I open a business? Could I run a business with these problems with my ability to focus and concentrate and multitask. Multitasking was the biggest problem okay. I had. Here I am <laughs> making chocolate. And when you're learning actually to be a chocolatier, it takes a good year to really master it. Okay. You know, there's lots of failures. There's lots of uh, missteps along the way, um, developing recipes, making it all turn out the same way every time. Mm -hmm. um, it's a complicated uh, thing to do. And uh, I started the business in my basement. Okay. I converted uh, two rooms in my basement to conform to public health uh, requirements. I had to put a sink in, um, a big sink in my laundry room for dishes and a little sink in one of the bedrooms for hand washing. I mean, <laughs> I've converted my house basically. Um, but I did that for two years and I grew and I attended every single networking group I did. That's where we met. That's where we met. <laughs> um, I attended every, I, w I was involved in every craft show under the sun, all through Kingston, from Brockville to Belleville. I just hammered away. I bought a tent and just was at every market, every craft show. Yeah, just do the work. 
and it was exhausting. <laughs> it is all exhausting. So but exhausting. Yes. <laughs> and I had sunk every, almost every dime I had saved right. for this. And at the two-year mark of that, I was able to get my pension. I was eligible for it at 55. So I looked at all the demands and everybody calling me saying, do you have a shop? Do you have a shop? Do you have a shop? Do you, where can I get this? I said, I'm in my basement. And then the imperative came, I better get a shop. Right. <laughs> so I went and I looked and high and low and found a real estate agent and got uh, all the advice I could get. Got a shop in the West End. And uh, right now I'm at the point where I'm re-signing another five-year lease. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. So exciting. Crazy. Crazy. Any regrets? None at all. That's beautiful. The only regret is I think I should have done it earlier. I should have gotten the shop earlier. But then again, all of that learning and growth and networking, I don't think I would have been possible because the shop is so consuming. Right. And having it at home was good, but it wasn't a good balance. Right. And I needed to balance my life. I uh, had a dog. Uh, we have a dog, and, and she was always looking at me and uh, making the chocolate and, and had to stay at the doorway and wait for me. And I said, I have to have a separation. You do. Um, I actually prefer not working from home. Yeah. And for me, it is just I'm in a different mental space when I'm outside of the house and I'm serious business, Sherry, mm -hmm. versus when I'm in my house and I still get a whole ton of work done, but it's just not the same environment for me to be right. productive in. Mm -hmm. There's too many good things to be distracted oh, by. Distractions. Whether it's my husband or my kids or my dog, my cat, my backyard, there's a little laundry. There's something that can distract you. Yeah. And when you're in a different space that is just work to you, those things aren't there. And right. so it's time to focus. But then also when you go home, you can just be yourself and relax at home and right. not have those two worlds cross. And I know that it was very difficult during the pandemic. Obviously, people had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people really love working from home. There mm -hmm. are some people who never want to go back. What I have learned this year in particular is because you can do whatever you prefer-ish again, <laughs> yeah. I prefer to go to an office yeah. every day. It gets me yeah. in the right headspace to do it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I also share with you... In my encore career, I wish I had have done it earlier. Mm -hmm. I also love what I do now. I have to, though, remind myself, though, that everything happens for a reason and in the time that it is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't be who I was when I changed careers and I wouldn't have been ready right. until we got to where we got to through our life lessons. Mm -hmm. So as much as it would be great to say, you know, I would have been in chocolate all my life. Or for <laughs> me, I've been in real estate all my life. I wasn't and you yeah. weren't, nope. but we are where we are today. Mm -hmm. And it's great because as you were telling that story, and I really wish we were on video today, you were glowing <laughs> when you started to talk about the part where you found chocolate as a career, as a passion, as something you could make a life with. Yeah. What I love about what you do too, and maybe we can explore it a little bit more, is you're bringing people a little piece of joy. Yeah. And so I'm sure you've unpacked that before or thought mm -hmm. it through. Yeah. But I used to work at an insurance company, and no one calls the insurance company when something good has happened to them. Right. Usually <laughs> there's been a death, there's been a theft, there's been a fire, something's happened to them. And I remember thinking in my next career, I want to do something joyous with people. <laughs> 
and I hope I do as well now. In mm -hmm. most cases, people are happily buying or selling new homes and investments and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I love that you are bringing joy one piece of chocolate at a time. Yep. And what is your mission statement or your business mantra? So my business, when I started, I kind of started in a weird way because I went to a marketing firm even before I had started Coco Bistro. I had the idea, I had the concept, I had the name, and I said, I want people to be good to themselves. Nice. That I want, you know, I see so many people giving up stuff and sacrificing and working hard and long hours and I saw it at the hospital I saw it with my patients families people running themselves ragged and I mean I love food and I enjoy it and I savor it and you either eat to live or live to eat right I eat live to eat That's what <laughs> some people I used to work with that w food to them was just a means of you know fuel. survival yep, fuel. fuel and yeah so when I went to the marketing firm I said I want I want my value statement is we eat we in, uh, deserve to have a little bit of chocolate every day that is that luxury that little luxury right it doesn't have to be a car it doesn't have to be a trip it's that little bit that will transport you right somewhere and why I called it Coco Bistro it's not a restaurant mm -hmm. it was in my mind going to be a restaurant in five years which hasn't happened but what I wanted to communicate with it was that by Bistro I thought of something like French or cultural something right. um, a, a cuisine so my flavors were going to be different they weren't going to be what everybody else had they weren't going to be like your pot of gold right they get the pharmacy this is going to be transporting this is going to take you either back to your childhood mm -hmm. and remember that flavor that you had in your community in a far-off country or it was something that you wanted to taste that would transport you. So it was my food as communication, food as comfort, food as something not to feel guilty about. And that's what everybody who comes in, <clears throat> ultimately, and if you've come into the shop, you see the truffles. Mm -hmm. You see something beautiful and colorful. And that that's my real passion seeing that doing that and now my staff doing that um but when they go into the other room and they see things like um chocolate covered jujubes and pretzels Ooh. and <laughs> all these really indulgent things it's yes. all the everybody just says wow right wow <laughs> and that's really my secondary you know yes we have to satisfy those little urges um things that make us satisfied but the truffles the things that they're those little colorful boxed chocolates yes they're gifts and and yes we package them beautifully but i also i always say you know i'll give you a bag if you want to have a few for yourself you know the giver should have something nice. as well and 
I often, you know, give a few away if I, I notice somebody's really kind of concerned about the price of things and whatnot. But I'll just say, you know, you deserve this. You you look tired. <laughs> Take it. Right. And and the flavors have just evolved over time. The things like um, last season we did black garlic miso. Oh boy, that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where else could you get that with right. chocolate? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this year, uh, this season, we we changed uh, twice a year the lineup of truffles, and this time around we have one called a night in Madras, which is curry. Oh, interesting. So curry and chocolate. Hmm. It sounds very interesting, <laughs> and it's delicious. And I want you know people will look at that and go. Oh, maybe I'll have the sea salt caramel. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, have you ever thought about this flavor? And and it kind of opens up people's experiences. Yeah. And and they think, wow, this I've never thought about this. Um, this past week I did a bunch of cocktails at the Frontenac Club. And we paired chocolates that were meant to mimic three cocktails that are available at the Frontenac Club and do them... And my shop. That's interesting. Beautiful. And great flavors. I mean, uh, this bartender is so innovative. And we had pandan uh, leaf, which is a very exotic green leaf. And we had um, smoky sarsaparilla uh, with uh, bourbon and <laughs> just really that interesting things. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> it's a blank slate. Oh, yeah. With chocolate, it's a blank slate. And every six months, my uh, Melanie, my main staff uh, member, and I, we we sit together and we think the flavors. Think of what can we explore? What can we dazzle people with and still not go too crazy? Because we still have to sell them. Right. Yeah. That <laughs> right. sounds so fun. Yeah. You definitely have a creative spirit. Yeah. And an artistic flair, because I've seen your chocolates mm -hmm. and your shop. It's beautiful. Thank you. And did you know that about yourself? Because it sounds like the first half of your life was very, I'm going to say practical yeah. or logical. Very logical. Sciences yeah. and things like that. Yep. And I wonder if, you know, your awakening to your creative passions, mm -hmm. you know, came for a reason. I yeah. mean, they say that sometimes... Some of the best gifts come in strange packages. Mm -hmm. And obviously you had a loud awakening Very. to take a moment <laughs> and reevaluate. Yeah. I really do appreciate you sharing the story with us. So honestly, that's wonderful. Yeah. What are you hoping for future, Audrey? Well, um, the odd thing through the pandemic was that we grew. Right. We grew. Uh, every year over year through the pandemic, Business doubled. Okay. Double, double, well, doubled. people wanted chocolate. <laughs> they wanted chocolate. They needed some comforts during the pandemic. <laughs> they did. And they came to me. We delivered. And I always meant the business to be self-sustaining. When I had one employee, okay, I'm helping them. This is good. I never really thought of growth. Growth was never really on my mind. And I was thinking, I'm 50 years old back then you know right. how how can I do this meant very much longer and um was I going to retire at 65 and now I think 
<laughs> you know why? <laughs> why? Why is that why number? Stop? Yeah. Right. Why is that number there? Um, and right now, I'm, and this is very timely because I'm going through this pra- this exercise of how big can I grow comfortably? Right. And how can I utilize my staff, grow my staff? You know, having to train another person takes a long time. Mm-hmm. It's but now I have somebody who can now train somebody else. Oh, good. Okay. I've got more businesses that want to carry my product in their stores. Great, fantastic. I've got people calling me from Toronto wanting. So shipping has I've I've shipped once in a while. Do I want to expand that much right. that I would be? letting go and one of my prime drivers has been that we don't use sorbitol things like that that artificially preserve chocolate so you'll notice when you get a box of pot of gold there'll be lots of names you can't pronounce yeah Um, chocolate itself has a shelf life of about if it's just plain six months, if it has something in it, like cream and butter, like what we use, uh, it's going to last maybe three weeks tops. Okay. So if you want to make it lo- sh- stay long on the shelf, you have to put garbage in it. Okay. <laughs> and that... Just for the record, it doesn't last three weeks in my d- house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, alcohol is a, is a natural preservative, so I do use... A lot of different alcohols in the chocolate. Again, it's not crazy mm-hmm. boozy, but, you know, it preserves it. And it says it on, on the flavor that it does. But, you know, thinking about growth, would I grow that particular aspect? So if it's the truffles, I'm not ready to compromise my values about that I do not everybody loves my chocolates they taste different for a reason right they're fresh and that freshness is important so expansion would mean thinking about how can I grow the other products that have a longer shelf life okay so um, thinking of innovative things that people enjoy that involve chocolate at the same time educating them about good chocolate Mm -hmm. and that's what I do through my workshops that I do at the shop I take people through a a how to taste chocolate oh I want to do that Uh, yeah please let me know when the next one is (laughs) I want to do that I do it for groups anybody can come and just book it interesting um and learning how to temper chocolate I mean it's it's so exciting to see people marvel and they think, oh, you just melted, right? Well, not really. I mean, melting is part of it, but right. it's science. And uh, and it's also art, as you said. And I don't want that art piece to be lost. Uh, when you said that, and I, I really, that kind of choked me up a bit because my father was an artist. Okay. And my sister is an artist. And they struggled my sister struggles with her mental health. She has bipolar disorder, and uh, my father likely had that as well. Um, I was only when I was about 35 that I learned that he had committed suicide. Oh. And um, 
that was that was the artist, you know, that was the passionate yeah. one and who wrestled with demons. So I think this all, when I reflect at why, I mean, I could have chocolates that look like brown chocolates that you can get anywhere. Uh, and I say, uh, no, it's important to do that. Yes, it's a lot of work to make them look pretty, but that's my expression. Right. That's, that's my father. That's my sister. That's everything artistic in me coming out. And I want people to, this week, we eat with our eyes. Right. And it is a trend in the chocolatier world. And I belong to chat groups on Facebook and Instagram. And we talk about all the colors and, and all the possibilities of designs and, and techniques. And that's it's thrilling. And, oh, it's hours and hours and hours of work. But the the eyes that... the the kids, when they put their hands, the little kids come and they put their hands on the glass. And they're, oh, those look like marbles. They look like spaceships or Well, something. you're giving them a magical candy shop memory yeah, from their childhood. Exactly. Which is beautiful. Yeah. Wow. I love how much you love this. Mm -hmm. I love how much you love your Encore career and that you were gifted with an Encore life. Uh, we all have to remember that we are all been blessed with many years and that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I love that you're local, so <laughs> I can enjoy your talents. If people wanted to reach out to you, how would they reach you? Through my website at cocobistro.ca. Uh, that's C-O-C-O-A, bistro.ca. I have many parts on the website where you can send me a note. And it okay. comes right to my email, and I respond immediately okay call me all my contact information is on the website okay. and on my social media on facebook and instagram okay. and where is the shop it's at 840 development drive right in the bay ridge plaza at the corner of trudell okay so another one of kingston's west end hidden gems Thank you so much, Audrey, for sharing your story with us today. <laughs> Thank I you. appreciate you and everything you do. <laughs> Thank you so much.